back there, it's just book one, two, and three. So we're in book three, and there are actually five books. So we'll be uh, going through, uh, obviously, a couple more. We're going to be reading through Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 27. I'm dropping off verse 28 that is on purpose. I know it's there, and I'm adding it to chapter 17 because Jesus didn't put the chapter markers there. Some guy did, and uh, we're going to adjust accordingly. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 27. This is what. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? What shall a man give in return for his life? For The Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He'll repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is God's Word. And I realize I read verse 28, but hey, that's okay. Let me pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. It is the power of salvation. It is what You have given us, Father, this living Word that can cut us deeply and change us from the inside out. So we ask, Holy Spirit, You'll do that today. Comfort us where we need comfort. Convict where we need conviction. Help us to understand You more and our purpose for being in this life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, following Jesus. This is the second time Jesus has used this kind of statement about you know, deny thyself and pick up this cross. So it must be really important. But We're going to begin by just really stating plainly that following Jesus means more than simply professing Him as Lord. And Jesus has already said that in the most starkest of terms in Matthew chapter 7. If you remember, He says this, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, passionate, right? Not just Lord, 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 will enter the Kingdom of Heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think that's one of the scariest passages in the Bible. And we just saw Peter last week basically say, Lord, Lord, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. He was declared blessed for his profession by Jesus, and now he is declared Satan for challenging Jesus' lordship. With one conversation, Peter goes from being blessed as the foundational rock of the church to being rebuked as a stumbling block for Jesus. And the thing about Peter who's really interesting is that um, I really love Peter because that's where you see his whole life. He goes back and forth, back and forth. At one point, he's praising Jesus. At the next point, he's denying Jesus. At one point, he's he's, uh, being rebuked by Paul for being out of line of the Gospel. The next thing, 
He's dying on the cross for Jesus. So, I like Peter because it reminds me of myself and my own walk. Perhaps that's the same for you. But if you remember back uh, the beginning of Matthew, when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus' call was never to follow just his instructions or his rules or his traditions. He said, follow me. It was a call to follow him. It was a call to find rest in him. It was a call to find joy in him. It was a call to find purpose in him. A call to find strength and hope in him. And Peter, who was married, most likely had perhaps a family with kids, and he clearly had a job and a business partnership, drops it all. Doesn't abandon his family, but certainly abandons perhaps a way to pay for them and follows Jesus for three years. And he didn't follow him after being told by Jesus, by the way, this is where it's going to end up. He followed him rather blindly, but very faithfully, because he knew simply this. And you need to ask yourself this question. If this sounds like you, or maybe not. Peter followed him because he knew wherever it was Jesus was going, he was going to be there. And he wanted to go wherever the Lord was going, and he wanted to do whatever the Lord was doing, period. What I would describe Peter as is Christ-centered. Many of us would describe ourselves as Christ-centered. I'm all about Jesus. But what I've understood or come to understand studying this passage is there's a difference between being Christ-centered and cross-centered. I saw lots of guys praying to Jesus last night in the football game, and I was praising along with them, right? Thank you for that. wasn't an interception. Thank you for that. wasn't a penalty. Thank you for scoring this touchdown. Lots of people can be Christ-centered. I don't think it's a bad thing. But I think there's a difference between Christ-centeredness and cross-centeredness. There's a difference between talking about Jesus and living for Jesus. Christ without a cross or church or Christianity without a cross is a faith without confession. We don't talk about sin. Why? It's a faith, I believe, without repentance, without forgiveness, without sacrifice. Christianity is not just about Jesus. It's about a crucified Jesus. Christianity without Jesus and the cross is, I don't believe, genuine discipleship. And the thing about this is that I believe our flesh actually wants Christ without a cross. Because Christ without a cross means that we actually can follow Christ without any cost. Now Jesus' words in, in this passage and in other passages are, are pretty rarely difficult to understand. When Jesus says, love thy enemies, we're like, hmm, what does he mean? Right? We play those games. You need to forgive as you've been forgiven. Well, most of the time. Right? We play these games, and, and Jesus' words are very simple to, to understand. Peter understands it very clearly what Jesus is talking about. After declaring, basically, his intent to build... Think about Peter's you know, context, right? I'm going to build my church, Peter, on that profession. You're going to help. It's going to be awesome. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail. 
Now I'm going to go die. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 what? That sounds like the gates of hell are prevailing there, Jesus. He's not misunderstanding what Jesus is saying, but he's not listening very clearly, is he? Because he did mention resurrection. Peter kind of missed that part. All he heard was suffering at the hands of basically the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of like he's going to be rejected. It's not, that, he's not going to be king then. Wait a second. And then I'm going to die, Peter. What? And it says, shocked Peter, who understands perfectly, pulls Jesus aside so that he can correct the Son of the living God. Right? He says, Peter began to rebuke him. Are you nuts? Right? He pulls him aside so like everyone, because you know, I know they don't get it, but like, Jesus, seriously, what are you saying? This can't happen to you. This is never going to happen to you. But he turned, it says, to Peter. So he's talking to like Jesus back. He makes pulling him like, what are you talking about? And then Jesus turns and goes, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How often does that happen to us? Not Jesus calling us Satan. I don't think that probably is very often for us. But how often are we more of a hindrance than a help to Jesus? Are we setting our mind on the things of men versus the things of God? Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter boldly says this, right? God would not let this happen. That's what Peter's saying. He's, he's very bold. God, he doesn't work this way, Jesus. God doesn't want you to suffer, Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's likely, I think, that Peter remembers what Jesus taught back in Matthew 10. Where he said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, Peter's really saying, I'm not called to suffer. Because Jesus basically said, by the way, all my disciples are going to have lives like me. Peter's like, wait a second, what did I thought you were going to be king, gates of hell, wait, die, suffer? You're not going to, I'm not going to suffer. It couldn't possibly cost that much to follow you, Jesus. That, that's, that's a really high cost. You ever ask yourself, like, what, what's that point for you where you say that's too much? That's too much, Jesus. You're asking too much. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's your life. I think we probably fall really short of that. Peter's begun to, I think, put more faith in what he believes should happen than what Jesus said is going to happen. Peter has put more faith in his word than actually God's word. Instead of just taking plainly Jesus' word, right? we do this so often. We open the Bible and, and we get a very clear direction from the Lord, like go and proclaim the gospel. I'm sure people do that very well. I'm just not gifted in that. 
Give sacrificially. Serve. Love one another. Like I'm sure what that means, but I'm sure it's a special thing. We don't take Jesus' word literally. We don't like actually do what He calls us to do. We don't take His promises seriously oftentimes or His warnings seriously. Peter's put more hope, I believe, in his plans than in God's and he's began to imagine more joy and seek more satisfaction and place more meaning in what he thinks in his own desires than actually God's revealed will. And so Jesus obviously gets in his face, calls him Satan, which simply means adversary. You've got to remember that Satan loves uh, Jesus without a cross. He has no problem with Jesus without a cross. He wants Peter and every Christian to ask these simple things, the same thing he asked back in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Did God really mean sacrifice? Did God really mean follow unto death. Come on. That's what Satan's really good at. Helping us to follow Jesus without any kind of cost. Through Peter, Satan is tempting Jesus like he did in the wilderness, if you remember that. Where he tempted him to question God's Word and to reject God's way, and to disobey God's will because it was hard. He's trying to tempt Jesus away from the hard way. Jesus tells Peter that, look, your mind, your attitude, your perceptions, your decisions, they're governed by the interest of the flesh. And what he, in saying that, he says, look, you're only thinking about the things of man. What he implies is that it is God's will for me to die. I preached a sermon many moons ago on Easter. It was called, Who Killed Jesus? And the answer was, God. Isaiah 53, which is an amazing passage prophetically speaking about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, it says in 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring, He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. So Jesus says, look, it is the will of God that I suffer and die and that I resurrect. Peter hasn't heard that part. And for us, I think myself, we're convinced that, you know what, I, there's a level of cost that um, God wants me to suffer, but He doesn't want me to go past this. I believe that following Jesus means submitting to Jesus' lead no matter what it costs. And it's not going to cost us all the same thing. Our faith is certainly not going to cost us like it costs those in different parts of the world where they are seriously... Uh, in danger of being killed if they confess Jesus. But we're going to have some cost. Jesus tells Peter to get behind him because Peter has ceased to actually follow Jesus. In fact, he's trying to lead him and to tell Jesus where he's going to go and where he should go. See, when you stop listening to all of the king's word and just listen to parts of it, you've actually stopped following the king. When you stop believing the king's word, you've stopped following the king. And when you stop obeying the king's word, you've stopped following the king. And when you stop following the king, Jesus says, look, you're an enemy of the king. Even if you profess him to be the king. Even demons profess Jesus to be the king. You've got to be a different king. 
Well, Jesus continues in to verse 24, and he gets pretty clear about what it's going to mean. And he says that living under the lordship of, of Jesus, following Jesus, is going to cost us more than words. Jesus tells his disciples what they're going to do if they're going to follow him. And he says really plainly, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he continues to explain, he says the word for, he's just kind of adding like what that means and the reasons for that decision. This forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So life is the key to it. This is, again, the second time Jesus has said, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So it must be important. And by important, I mean we need to be reminded of it because it's going to be a temptation for us not to do it. So he says, first, we're going to have to do the most difficult work, which is to turn away from ourselves, to deny ourselves. And I think that that's hard because we actually think we're pretty smart. We actually think we got it all figured out. I know how this is going to play out, Lord. I know what you want to do. That's not as a result of prayer or reading God's Word, but a result of just our gut. We trust our gut. I'm here to tell you your gut is wrong a lot of the time. Especially if it conflicts with God's Word. We're going to have to turn away from what I think Peter is trying to follow, our very best and highest ideals. Because they potentially can turn us away from Jesus. Denying the self in this world is really difficult, right? We live in a world of selfies. I'm not trying to condemn you if you've taken selfies, right? But just think about that kind of picture of our culture. We live in a world that's like, look at me! Me, me, me! We have entire social media sites devoted to ourselves. We're encouraged to talk about ourselves. We're encouraged to promote ourselves. We're encouraged to celebrate ourselves. We're encouraged to invest in ourselves. We are a culture and a country devoted to self-reliance. And as a result, we see a lot of self-indulgence. And we still see a lot of self-righteousness and self-concern. To, to deny ourselves is not just to give up bad behavior. Good luck with that. But to deny ourselves is actually to give up your throne. We are to give up ourselves as Lord and let Jesus rule our lives. To move away from the idea of did God say and just shorten it up. God says. God says. And let that rule. The words out of our mouth should be, well, the Bible says. God's Word says. Not, does it really say? Does it really say? My hope is for us all to get to a place where Paul got to. And I think it's a gift of the Spirit. It's not a matter of just like hunkering down and white knuckling it. I think it's a, um, it's a slow process that the Spirit slowly shapes us. And I think we become more and more sacrificial, hopefully. But here's how Paul described his life. Acts 20, he's basically turning towards Rome knowing he's going to die. And the Ephesians are like, don't go! Because they know it's the last time he's going to see him. And here's how he describes his life. He says, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
I don't account my life as any value or as precious to myself. If only, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Is that what we say? Is that what you say? I think a lot of us read that with Paul and go, well, that's Paul. He was special. He was an apostle. He was this. He was that. It's like, what if he's just a Christian? Colossians 4.17, Paul tells a man to say, fulfill the ministry you've received. What's the ministry you've received? Service unto the Lord, do you say, my life, whatever, it's the Lord's, and I'm going to serve and fulfill this ministry till the day I die. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's denying yourself. But he goes further, and he says that you must also take up your cross. Well, Peter would know what he's talking about. All of them would know what he's talking about, especially being the culture of Rome. They may have not known at that moment because it wasn't fully clear. Peter wasn't big listening, but it became very clear. Out of all the ways to die at this time, death by crucifixion was one of the worst. It wasn't just physically brutal, it was. It was actually socially disgusting. Crucifixion was a, a special form of execution reserved for convicted slaves, kind of convicted treasonous or terrorists, like the slimiest of the slime. It would never be imposed on what might be called respectable criminals. They would be beheaded, always beheaded. They'd be exiled. John was exiled. They'd be, you know, thrown into the arena, but not crucified. See, in a society of winners, which Rome was, Jesus became like the absolute total loser in their eyes. And Peter rebukes Jesus simply because Peter wants to win. He's visioning this king, this throne, all these things. But like I said, there's a difference between being Christ-centered and cross-centered. The church is not built on just Christ. It's built on a crucified Christ. And if we're honest, it doesn't cost us a lot to profess to be a Christian in this culture. I mean, maybe an occasional look, word. I think someday it might. Someday it may actually be very costly for a pastor, for a church to gather, maybe in this culture. It's not really right now. But there is a cost for those who truly take up the cross. And it's not an interesting phrase to think about. He says, take up your cross. Like it's active. It's not just passive. It's not just, well, bear the cross. Just bear the shame of Jesus. It's no, I'm going to choose the shame of Jesus. I'm going to step into it. I'm going to take up my cross. And you know that taking up the cross is a picture, right? The, the criminal usually had to carry the cross beam like Jesus did. Then if you take up the cross, you're following Jesus somewhere. And guess where Jesus was going? Golgotha. Right? To die. Following Jesus is more than good words and good intentions. It's a good death. It's spending your life for Jesus. It's at the funeral Whatever time your funeral comes, maybe you'll get hit by a bus out here on Avenue D. I don't know, right? But it's, someday it's going to come, and when it's gathered together, people say, man, that girl, that guy, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife, that person just spent their life for Jesus. Dang. 
They knew what was, they're with Jesus right now. Like they have no, just no question. And that guy, that girl, they just love Jesus. How do you know that? Because if they told you that, man, do you watch them? They just didn't think anything was valuable in this world if it wasn't to be used for Jesus. This is not to impress people. We're just talking about a disposition of the heart that is obvious to everyone to see. And people go, what is with that person? For some, the key to a happy life is a healthy life, right? For others, the key to a happy life is simply projecting a positive life. For others, the key to a happy life is some kind of spiritual inner Even popular evangelical pastors, I use evangelical very lightly, claim that the key to your best life are seven easy steps. Just get the book. And they'll See how you can grow in prosperity and have a better self-image slash pride in yourself. I don't have seven or five or even three steps. I have one. Ready? Die. You're not going to sell too many books that tell people the secret to a happy life is to die with Jesus. But here's the catch. Here's the part that Peter doesn't get. Nothing can be resurrected until it's dead. Period. Nothing can be resurrected until it's dead. Joy and satisfaction and purpose. This is the thing that everyone's looking for. Whether you're a believer or not, everyone is on a search for joy and contentment and purpose to know my life has meaning. And I'm telling you right now, it will never be fully realized until you fully die with Jesus. Until you fully deny your ability to be strong enough, smart enough, good enough, and trust that Jesus is strong enough, wise enough, and good enough for you. That means really simply, you begin to deny everything. You deny your own abilities to say, well, I can do it if I just work harder. You deny your own comforts to say, I have to have this to have a good life. You deny your own pride to say, I need to know every answer there is. You deny your own entitlements of what you think you deserve. You deny your own wisdom that believes, well, I know better. You deny your own plans of what you have to do. And you deny the opinions of men who speak about who we were as we accept who God says we are in Christ. That kind of life or you believe you're totally dead, as Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been killed with Christ. And what? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In a life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. See, when we die, when you fully die, when you fully say, I got nothing, Lord, you have everything, Jesus begins to live in us. Jesus gives us a new mind, His mind. His heart, His will. We begin to see and realize who God really is and and what Jesus has done for us and how much we need Him today and tomorrow and every day after. And you begin to see the world for what it is and you begin to see those things that you used to love in the world and you go, yeah. And the things that you used to hate of God, you go, yeah. Because you begin convinced that God is not some cosmic killjoy who doesn't want you to have fun. He's actually a loving Father who wants to give you His best. 
And guess what happens? Like Peter, when he first started to follow, wherever Jesus is going, you want to go. And whatever Jesus is doing, you want to do it. And you begin to love God. And you begin to love others as you are convinced that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And your reason for living completely changes. See, contrary to popular belief and maybe to our own gut, Jesus tells us that if we lose our life for Jesus, we'll actually find joy and satisfaction and purpose that all of us are desperately looking for. And I think a lot of us think like, well, losing our life, like, I don't live in um, Pakistan or, or I don't live in some country somewhere that like where I actually could be threatened and, and maybe actually lose my life. But how could you understand that now? Knowing that you're probably not going to have a gun held to your head in the next couple years. You're not going to be threatened with, with jail necessarily yet. What does it mean then to lose your life? Perhaps it just means to lose your lifestyle. We must be willing, I think, to lose our wealth and lose our power and lose our comfort and even lose our ideals for the sake of Jesus. See, following Jesus means believing that all you have, even your life, is an indispensable tool for God's mission to make disciples. And it's crazy how we make little idols out of things to say, well, I know Jesus wants me to sacrifice, but not for that. Like, well, I don't know, maybe family? Well, the Lord wants me to take care of my family. Absolutely. He also wants you to serve on mission and let your family see you doing that. Those aren't, combat- those aren't you know, com- combative things or mutually exclusive things. My career, I know the Lord wants me to serve in this career, but what if it takes you away from actually serving Him? It's a way of living that's totally foreign to the world, and it should be pretty confusing. Has anyone ever been confused by your Christian lifestyle? I think it's interesting. Francis Chan, um, great writer, used to be a pastor. He might still be a pastor, I'm not sure, but he said something great. He said, something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Does your life make sense? To, does it look any different? And I've asked myself this question all week. I'm very convicted by it. See, losing for Jesus is more than just agreeing with Jesus. It's more than preaching about Jesus. It means living with the conviction that life and true contentment is found in investing in Christ, in serving in Christ, in going and hoping and laboring and suffering. Did you realize that Jesus' promise to be with us always is actually connected with the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he says, Lo, I'll be with you always. I was reading somewhere where someone said, you know what, you feel distant from God. People come up often to the guy and say, I don't feel close to God. And what his response is often? Or are you making disciples? That's what Jesus is. Even if you're not asked to give up your life, are you ready to give up your lifestyle for Jesus? You will be risk everything. Will you willingly risk everything that's fading 
find life in Jesus. If you're not willing to, to lose your life to Jesus, then Jesus says you can't follow me. You just can't. In losing your life, Jesus promises more though. Not less. And I think that I ask myself, like, why are professing Christians, even myself, so unwilling to follow Jesus in that way? And I think it's because we're like Peter, right? We we can't we want to win, and we can't believe that winning comes from losing. Like if the Seahawks lost yesterday, which God did happen, right? It's not like it would feel really good to go like, you know what, but you guys, you really won. I know you lost, but you really won. Whatever, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Look, you're going to lose, man, but you're going to win it all. And on the flesh, we're like, that's not winning. But you're setting your things on the, your mind on the things of man. You're not seeing with the eyes of God. You're not believing the gospel, right? Losing is how Jesus wins our salvation. Losing is how Jesus experienced joy. Losing is how Jesus glorified God. Losing in the eyes of this world. Right? He obtained power through humility, weakness, and service. He attained wealth by what? Giving everything away. He was the wealthiest of wealthy. He achieved fame by living a life of a marginalized, misunderstood, Galilean peasant. He offers a total reversal of values and those who receive salvation become not the ones who strive to be winners but the ones who admit dude I'm a loser and I have nothing to offer in closing I think the last couple of verses are really powerful Jesus says choosing to lose your life in Christ means we win where it actually matters we sacrifice for something and hope in something and live for something beyond this fading world. Guess what? Something that actually can never be taken away. Most people put their hope and, and purpose for living in stuff that if they live long enough, it's going to go away. Money, it's going to be gone someday. Job, it's going to be gone someday. A person, they're going to die someday. Your own health, it's going to go bad someday. Your family, they're going to rebel or, or go bad. Do something, they're going to be gone or you're going to be gone. It's all going to go away. But life with Christ is the thing that can't be taken away even if you are put in jail. Even if you lose all that you have in this world. That is still reserved for you, guaranteed, sealed by the Holy Spirit in heaven waiting for you. Jesus says, look, for the Son of Man is going to come. Jesus is going to return. He says He's going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Then He'll repay each person according to what He has done. And those who have held on to their life, they're going to lose it. And those who have said, it's always been yours, Lord, they're going to get it. We willingly lose our life in this world because we know we find it when Jesus returns or we return to Him. Lastly, Jesus reminds His disciples to keep their eyes on the promise of future reward. That's okay to do. Knowing that immediate earthly reward is 
often absent as a Christian. That's very opposite than the prosperity gospel. It says, you believe you're going to prosper. Jesus says, you believe you're going to die. But someday you're going to prosper. That will make that death seem like stubborn of toe. When you think about that, I've said it before, when we're with Jesus for 70 million years in eternity, think about that. Whoa. Right? 70 million years. We've been there. The worst suffering that you could have imagined that maybe you experienced is going to feel like stubbing your toe if that. In that little snapshot of life you had, right? 70 years, 70 million years. And the greatest successes you ever had. You know, Pulitzer Prizes and businesses and all these things. It's going to seem like you won the third grade checkers championship. It's going to be like, that's nothing. You're with the Lord in eternity. Fully content, fully joyful, free of sin. Belief in future reward is a mark of genuine faith and it's what distinguishes Christians from a world of instant gratification. Look at what Peter said in the end of his life, right? He's, we have him in Matthew going, I don't need to, I'm not going to suffer. Suffering, no, 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 no. We're, you're going to be king. I'm going to be sitting at your table. We're going to rock it in Jerusalem. It's going to be rad. Jesus says, no, we're going to suffer and die. And you're going to die, Peter. What does he say at the end in 1 Peter, in his letter? Jesus has been gone. 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, a little bit of a change here, having met the resurrected Jesus. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's writing to Christians who are being deeply persecuted and killed. He said, but rejoice. A little bit of heart change there? This is the Holy Spirit. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He says, don't keep your eyes down here. Keep your eyes up there. I know it hurts, but rejoice. Because if you're sharing the sufferings of Christ, that's a mark of you being prepared for the reward that's with Christ. Jesus' call is never just to follow His instructions or follow His rules or follow His traditions. It's a call to follow Him. And I compel you, compel you to follow Him. To respond. If, if you feel that spark in your heart, that's not, well, it could be bad indigestion, but I'm believing it's the Holy Spirit tickling you a little bit. To follow Jesus and find your rest in Him. To find your joy in Him. To find your purpose in Him. Find your strength and your hope in Him. Jesus is calling you to risk your entire life to go all in on the conviction that He's it. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going all in that He is it. And I was reminded, which you're probably familiar with, the missionary Jim Elliott. The great book slash, I think, film called Tip of the Spear. And Jim Elliott was reaching a tribe, a really obscure tribe, and trying to preach the gospel to him and serving him, and he ended up being killed by that tribe. And they found his journal. His family went later, and that tribe came to faith. But Jim Elliott, a very famous quote, said this, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to attain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to attain what he cannot lose. I pray that as we come to the table of communion today, 
as you come to the cross today, don't just be about Jesus. Be cross-centered for Jesus. Come with open hands. Glad you're careful. That doesn't just mean prosperity and amazing promises that you've envisioned for yourself. It means the promise of true life, if not in this life, but in this life. Share in the suffering. Let go of that. See what he does. As you come to the table today, I compel for those who are Christians to consider what the Holy Spirit stirring you to see, am I just am I Christ-centered or am I actually Christ-centered and cross-centered? Is my life about Jesus and for Jesus or is this kind of like I talk about Jesus? And for those who are not Christians, this is not for you, but I invite you to believe. I invite you to confess that Jesus is God and believe in the Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and then join us and take and share as a family. By God's grace, I know if we pursue Jesus, we follow Jesus in that way, here's what I can guarantee you. Two things. Suffering. But as and insofar as you share in the suffering of Christ, you will also share in his joy and you'll be rewarded in heaven with his presence eternity. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before You humbly knowing that, Lord, we're just like Peter. We do all that we can to avoid suffering because our gut tells us that's not the way You work, but in truth, if we look at the cross, it's exactly